Psalm 81, to the chief musician on an instrument of Gath, a psalm of Asaph. Sing aloud to God our strength, make a joyful shout to the God of Jacob. Raise a song and strike the timbrel, the pleasant harp with the lute. Blow the trumpet at the time of the new moon, at the full moon on our solemn feast day. For this is a statute for Israel, a law of the God of Jacob. This he established in Joseph as a testimony when he went throughout the land of Egypt, where I heard a language I did not understand. I removed his shoulder from the burden. His hands were freed from the baskets. You called in trouble and I delivered you. I answered you in the secret place of thunder. I tested you at the waters of Meribah, Selah. Hear, O my people, and I will admonish you. O Israel, if you will listen to me, there shall be no foreign God among you, nor shall you worship any foreign God. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide, and I will fill it. But my people would not heed my voice, and Israel would have none of me. So I gave them over to their own stubborn heart to walk in their own counsels. Oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. I would soon subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their adversaries. The haters of the Lord would pretend submission to him, but their fate would endure forever. He would have fed them also with the finest of wheat and with honey from the rock. I would have satisfied you. Our uh, sermon today is entitled um, Jethro, Priest of Midian. It's uh, Exodus 18, 1 through 12. And I want to say this now before I start reading. Uh, this is a really, really complicated sermon as far as the details. All right. Uh, there's a lot of going back and forth. Uh, if you're lost, don't worry about it. The notes are online if you want to read those notes or you can watch the YouTube video again. And if you're lost, don't worry about that either. Just enjoy what you're hearing because there's a message on top of the details. But it is very complicated as far as its structure. And if you were not here during the early Genesis or Exodus sermons, it, you won't understand because everybody in the Bible is picturing something or something else. And if you know who the, they pictured back then, then you can say, oh, well, what he's saying makes sense to me. But if you don't know that then, then what I'm saying, why does he automatically picture this? How does he know that? It was explained in previous sermons. So you'll have to trust me on this and then go back and watch all of the old Exodus sermons. There you go. Um, Exodus 18, verses 1 through 12, Jethro, the priest of Midian. Uh, <clears throat> verse 1, and Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, that the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had set her back, with her two sons, of whom the name of one was Gershom, for he said, I have been a stranger in a foreign land. And the name of the other was Eliezer, for he said, the God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness, where he was encamped at the mountain of God. Now he had said to Moses, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons. So Moses went out to meet his father-in-law, bowed down, and kissed him. And they asked each other about their well-being. And they went into the tent. And Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake all the hardship that had come upon them on the way and how the Lord had delivered them. Then Jethro rejoiced for all the good which the Lord had done for Israel, whom he had delivered out of the hand of the Egyptians. And Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh, and who has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. 
Now I know that the Lord is greater than all the gods, for in the very thing in which they have behaved proudly, he was above them. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took a burnt offering and other sacrifices to offer to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. Uh, before I get into the sermon, one more, more thing I want to say is that after we're done and back, uh, have something to eat, uh, we need to move all of the chairs to the back because we're going to have the carpet cleaned. And I meant to say that earlier, but the people on YouTube get to hear that as well because I probably won't edit this out. But just so you know that. Uh, the timing of this account in the chronology of the Bible is exceedingly important to understand. Though it's recorded just after the war with Amalek and before the giving of the law, it does not belong here chronologically. And we're going to spend quite a bit of time detailing where it actually belongs. You don't need to worry about notes or getting overloaded with information, though. Okay, As always, the sermons are uploaded on the internet and they follow in written form exactly as they are and how I speak them to you, except without all of my slurs and stutters. Okay, Jethro, the priest of Midian, is the highlight of today's passage. He, a Gentile, came to know the true God simply by hearing about him. A little faith goes a long way with God, so pay attention to his word and exercise faith in what it says to you. Our uh, sermon text, or our text verse today, comes from Deuteronomy chapter 32. It's the 43rd verse. Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people, for he, is, he will avenge the blood of his servants and render vengeance to his adversaries. He will provide atonement for his land and his people. Moses wrote that the Gentiles are actually a part of the Lord's plan, even though it was he who received the law for the people of Israel. He understood that they are included in the Lord's provision probably as much because of the account of Jethro today as for any other reason. Paul picked up on Moses' words concerning the Gentiles and cited those words in the New Testament. It's a big book. It's filled with many details, and some of them are very hard to understand. But in the end, the message is simple. God has a plan, and it centers on the giving of his son to redeem fallen man. If we can just remember that, all of the more difficult concepts will fall into their proper place. So don't get overloaded by his superior word. Instead, rejoice in it. And so let's turn to that precious word once again. And may God speak to us through his word today. And may his glorious name ever be praised. Our first of three thoughts today is Jethro, the priest of Midian. It's verses 1 through 6. The beginning of chapter 18 will immediately bring in a question of timing. When does this occur? In chapter 17, we read this. And the Lord said to Moses, Go on before the people and take with you some of the elders of Israel. Also take in your hand the rod with which you struck the river and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock in Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water will come out of it that the people may drink. However, chapter 19 begins with this. In the third month after the children of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on the same day they came to the wilderness of Sinai, for they had departed from Rephidim, had come to the wilderness of Sinai and camped in the wilderness. So Israel camped there before the mountain. Mount Horeb of chapter 17 and Mount Sinai of chapter 19 are the same place. Therefore, as occurs from time to time, this account in chapter 18 is an insert which is given to teach us a lesson regardless of the timing of its actual occurrence. Right now, we just know that it occurs after the arrival at the mountain of God. 
A little later, I'm going to show you that it is even after the giving of the law and even after the building of the tabernacle. Therefore, this account given here, even though it won't, uh, is given in this place right here, even though it won't occur for almost another year in Israel's history. To ensure that we know this is correct before going on, all we need to do is look at the listing of recorded stops for the wilderness journeys, which is found in Numbers chapter 33. Here's what it says. They moved from Elush and camped at Rephidim, where there was no water for the people to drink. They departed from Rephidim and came to the wilderness of Sinai. They moved from the wilderness of Sinai and camped at Kibroth Hata'ava. From Rephidim, they went to the wilderness of Sinai. From that point, they will not move again for an extended period of time. The next move is to Kibroth Hata'ava, which isn't until Numbers chapter 11. But Rephidim is mentioned in both accounts in chapter 17, the water from the rock and the war with Amalek. And yet it's in a different place than where they are now. If you remember, the elders alone first went to Horeb with Moses. Only later would the congregation have come there. Therefore, even the war with Amalek was not actually in chronological order. Understanding this, we can see that these accounts are being placed side by side for a reason. The question should be then, why has it been placed here at this particular location in the Bible? In order to understand, the bracketing accounts have to be identified. The preceding account was the war with Amalek. The one to follow is preparation for the giving of the law. Jethro is noted as priest of Midian. Both Midian and Amalek descend from Abraham. However, though he is a priest of Midian, he is also called a descendant of the Kenites, who are first recorded as living in the land of Canaan in Genesis 15, verse 19. These two accounts being recorded in this order then must be at least in part concerning the different attitudes that are displayed towards Israel. In picture, it would be the twofold attitude which the heathen world would assume towards the kingdom of God. There are several analogous accounts to this in the Bible. There's a covenant which Abraham made with Abimelech back in Genesis. In the reigns of David and Solomon, there was a friendly partnership between them and Hiram king of Tyre. Solomon maintained a cordial relationship also with the queen of Sheba. These records are given to show us that there is nothing wrong with associating with the world which is friendly towards God's people, but that those who are belligerent against them are actually at war with them, as we saw in the account with Amalek, and they are ultimately to be warred against until they are destroyed. In today's world, such foes are increasingly easy to identify. In the end, and particularly towards the nation of Israel in the end times, they will be known as the sheep and goat nations, which Jesus speaks of in Matthew chapter 25. Verse 1, And Jethro the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law. The name Jethro has to be explained. First, in Exodus chapter 2, Moses was taken in by a man named Reuel. He was the father of of Zipporah, who would become Moses' wife. He was also the priest of Midian. That's all explained in Exodus 2. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water, and they filled the troughs to water their father's flock. Then the shepherds came and drove them away. But Moses stood up and helped them and watered their flock. When they came to Reuel, their father, he said, How is it that you have come so soon today? In Exodus 3, the name of the priest of Midian is changed to Jethro. Whether it's the same person or not is debatable. I say it's not because it was 40 years later. 
Here is his introduction. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. Although he is described as Moses' father-in-law in this translation of Exodus 3.1, the word used is chatan. It is a word which has a wide signification. It implies the giving away in marriage. And so it can mean father-in-law, it can mean mother-in-law, son-in-law, etc. And in the noun form, it is even used to describe a husband. It deals with contracting affinity by marriage. If Jethro is different than Reuel, as I say he is, for example, his son, then it means that he would replace the position of his father as sheikh of the tribe, and therefore he would actually be Moses' brother-in-law, but still the Chatan. He is the same person who Moses left in Exodus chapter 3 to go to attend to his people Israel. That was no more than a year or two earlier, and now he is returning to the area that he had left. Having identified him, the meaning of his name is also needed. Jethro comes from the word yatar, which means to remain over or to be at rest. The Haw Theological Word Book says it refers to one portion of a quantity which has been divided. Generally, it is the smaller part and sometimes it is the part of least quality. Therefore, Abarim translates the name Jethro as remnant. During our early Exodus sermons, Reuel was there to picture the time of the church age. Jethro, in chapter 2, was introduced at the ending of the church age as God was ready to restore Israel to its inherited place in redemptive history. His name is tied to that. The name Midian means place of judgment. Israel has been brought through the plagues on Egypt and has witnessed Pharaoh's destruction. That pictured the tribulation period. We saw that again and again. What was in Exodus is what will happen during the tribulation of the future. All right? Culminating in the destruction of the Antichrist when Pharaoh went under the waters of the Red Sea. After the tribulation comes the millennial reign of Christ when he will rule among his people. In picture, this encounter with Jethro is given as a tie-in for that. Verse 1 continues. Heard all that... God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, that the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. I should note now that the term God is going to be used five times in the next 12 verses. Gods will be used once, and the term Lord, meaning Jehovah, will be used six times. However, twice there is an article before God, which will be highlighted when we get there. Paying attention to such things will help us more clearly see what's going on. At this time, he is merely called Elohim, or God, in a general sense. Jethro has heard that Elohim has done great things for Moses and for Israel. Then to show that Jehovah is Elohim, it says that he had brought Israel out of Egypt. Jethro had certainly heard of the miracles. He'd heard of the plagues, the parting of the Red Sea, the manna and the quail. He may have been told about the pillar of cloud and fire and the water from the rock. He would have been told about the war with Amalek and the receiving of the law. Hearing these things was enough to excite him to action and to go out and see Moses. Verse 2, Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her back. Moses having sent Zipporah back to Jethro was never recorded before. The account picks up here and it simply assumes that we will understand that she was, in fact, sent back at some point while Moses continued on to Egypt alone. The word for sent her back is the word shiluchim. It's a plural word and is used for the first time in scripture here. It's only going to be used three times in total. It implies 
a dismissal, or a sending away. This would have occurred sometime after the account in Exodus 4 where she circumcised her son on their journey towards Egypt. In our early Exodus sermons, we saw that Zipporah pictures the church. She's introduced to show that in the millennium, there will be Jews and Gentiles alike, exactly as the Bible will later confirm. Verse 3, with her two sons, of whom the name of one was Gershom, for he said, I have been a stranger in a foreign land. It may seem curious, but until this point, only one son has been named. The plural word sons is mentioned in Exodus 4, but only the name of Gershom was given. He is now reintroduced into the Bible. The explanation for his name here is given verbatim from that of Exodus 2, verse 22. I have been a stranger in a foreign land. The first half of his name, Ger, means stranger. The second half, Shom, comes from either Sham, which means there, or Shem, which means name. And so his name either means stranger there or stranger is his name. However, Aberin notes that the verse merely says that the boy was named such and such because his father was a so-and-so. There is no law that demands that a such and such should be etymologically akin to the so-and-so. For all we know, Moses might have been expressing his gladness for having finally settled or grief for having been expelled from his familiar homeland. A verb that may have been on Moses' mind is garash, meaning to drive or cast out. Thus, his name may also mean exile. He then pictures the church during the exile of Israel. He is the called out Gentile church. Verse 4, and the name of the other was Eliezer. For he said, the God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. Eliezer is now introduced into the Bible by name. His name is explained by the words of Moses in this verse. The God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. His name means something like God of help or my God is help. It is supposed that this is the son whom Zipporah circumcised in Exodus chapter 4. It should be noted that the reason for the giving of his name is that he delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. This is certainly referring to when Moses escaped from Pharaoh after he had killed the Egyptian way back in Exodus chapter 2. After that, Moses heard of the death of that Pharaoh who sought him. It was around that time that Eliezer was circumcised and he was probably named because of it. However, the giving of his name now for the very first time in the Bible may be because Moses has actually twice been delivered from the sword of Pharaoh. Once at the death of the Pharaoh who first sought to kill him, and then again at the death of the second Pharaoh at the Red Sea. God had been Moses' help through both accounts. This son, Eliezer, pictures those Gentiles who missed the rapture and endured the tribulation period. Yes, we explained that in a previous sermon. Okay, so... They called on Christ during the tribulation, and they are the redeemed of the Lord. This was explained in Exodus 4, which detailed his circumcision by Zipporah. In 1 Chronicles 23, verses 16 and 17, this is going to be recorded about Eliezer. Of the sons of Gershon, Shebuel was the first. Of the, of the descendant of Eliezer, Rehabiah was the first. And Eliezer had no other sons, but the sons of Rehabiah were very many. Verse 5, And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness. Again, I just want to note that this is probably Moses' 
brother-in-law. When you see father-in-law here, it's not, okay? It's a brother-in-law. The word is chatan, and it certainly means this. So the translators are doing the best they can, but it does say uh, father-in-law here. I want you to know it's probably brother-in-law. The word means the same thing. Please remember that as we go along, especially in next week's sermon. Also, the sons are now mentioned first in this verse, and the wife is mentioned second, which is exactly the opposite of verse 2. Another point is that Jethro is called by name here. In all, he is going to be called by name seven times in the first 12 verses of this chapter, which comprise this sermon, and in five of them, he will be called Moses Hatan, or in-law, in connection with the name. However, in the last 15 verses, which is next week's sermon, he won't be mentioned by name even once, and yet he will be called his Hatan five times. In total, he will be called his Hatan 13 times. Why does this matter? Attention is being given to his name in the first half of the chapter, but attention to his relationship to Moses is given throughout the chapter. Thus, the chapter is logically divided based on the interaction with him. It's a most interesting thing to consider based on the details of the narrative between these two sections. Verse 5 continues, where he was encamped at the mountain of God. This section of verse 5 shows with all certainty that Moses and all of Israel is already at the base of Horeb, also known as Sinai, even though their recorded arrival there doesn't come until chapter 19. It shows that God intentionally placed this chapter right here with its details for the reasons that I explained before. Further, not only is it after their arrival at Sinai, but it is a year later, even more than a year later, even after the erection of the tabernacle at the time of sending the spies into the land of Canaan to scope out the territory. This can be determined from Deuteronomy chapter 1, and I've got to read you 15 verses of it. On this side of the Jordan in the land of Moab, this is Moses recounting what happened, Moses began to explain this law saying, The Lord our God spoke to us in Horeb, saying, You have dwelt long enough at this mountain. Turn and take your journey and go to the mountains of the Amorites, to all the neighboring places in the plain, in the mountains, and in the lowland, in the south, and on the seacoast, to the land of the Canaanites, and to the Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates. He's telling him to go in and occupy the land, in other words. See, I have set before the land before you. Go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give to them and their descendants after them. And I spoke to you at that time saying, I alone am not able to bear you. The stars of heaven uh, uh, bear you. The Lord your God has multiplied you. And here you are today as the stars of heaven in multitude. May the Lord God of your fathers make you a thousand times more numerous than you are and bless you as he has promised you. How can I alone bear your problems and your burdens and your complaints Choose wise, understanding, and knowledgeable men, this is where I want you to pay attention, from among your tribes, and I will make them heads over you. And you answered me and said, the thing which you have told us to do is good. So I told, took the heads of the tribes, wise and intelligent men, and made them heads over you. Leaders of thousands, leaders of hundreds, leaders of fifties, leaders of tens, and officers of your tribes." That record in Deuteronomy encompasses the substance of what is going to be seen in verses 13 through verses 21 next week, which is based on the advice of Jethro to Moses. Along with this, there are several other reasons to know that this account occurs at the end of their time in Sinai, and I'm going to give them all to you so that you have them, even if you don't care, because somebody will want to say, 
they're going to want to nitpick this apart someday. So I'm going to give you the first reason is Numbers 10. Shows that the cloud was taken up in order for the Israelites to leave Sinai and head towards Canaan. At that time, Moses addressed Jethro, but his name is changed at that time to Hobab and asked him to continue his travel with them as they journey, even to the land of promise. As this is probable, the story we are looking at today actually belongs chronologically between Numbers 10, verse 10, and Numbers 10, verse 11. This entire chapter fits in between two verses in Numbers chapter 10, in other words. Very important to remember that. Secondly, also shortly after Israel departs from Sinai in Numbers chapter 12, a dispute will play, take place between Miriam, Aaron, and Moses concerning Moses' wife. This would have probably occurred shortly after she came back to be with Moses, which is now in this account we're looking at. Third, later in this chapter, in verse 16, it will say, when they have a difficulty, they come to me, and I judge between one and another, and I make the statutes of God, make known the statutes of God and his laws. How could he explain the statutes and the laws unless they have already been given? That won't occur until after the law is received. Therefore, this account is after the giving of the law, even though it's here. And finally, verse uh, number 4.4, in verse 12, Jethro is said to offer burnt offerings and sacrifices which are in accord with those commanded in the law. Those details won't be realized completely until the book of Leviticus is complete. Because of these things, and maybe others that I couldn't find, we can be absolutely certain that this account comes not in a chronological fashion, but in order to show us something else. And that sep a separation is being made between Amalek and the Kenite people of whom Jethro is a part. This distinction will be seen particularly in 1 Samuel chapter 15. First, if you remember in Exodus 17, it said this, Because the Lord has sworn, the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. We saw that last week. However, in 1 Samuel 15, we're going to read this. Then Saul said to the Kenites, who are descendants of Jethro, Go, depart, get down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For you showed kindness to all the children of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites, and Saul attacked the Amalekites from Havilah all the way to Shur, which is east of Egypt. And not only was this remembered by Israel at the time of Saul, but the same line was given an even greater promise directly from the Lord himself. To understand it, we have to see the genealogical record of 1 Chronicles chapter 12. I'm going to give you a name first. There it says in 1 Chronicles uh, 2. And the families of the scribes who dwelt at Jabez were the Tirathites, the Shimeathites, and the Suchathites. These were the Kenites, descending from this guy, who came from Hamath, the father of the house of Rahab. That name there. This same house of Rahab the descendants of the Kenites, remember they're all descending from Jethro, continued to live in tents hundreds and hundreds of years later at the time of Jeremiah the prophet. In Jeremiah 35, an amazing promise is made to this line of people who had always lived among Israel and in favor with the Lord God of Israel. Here's what it says. And Jeremiah said to the house of the Rechabites, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, because you have obeyed the commandment of Jonadab, your father, and kept all his precepts and done according to all that he has commanded you. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Jonadab, the son of Rahab, shall not lack a man to stand before me forever. 
Now, this is when Israel was being exiled for disobedience, and these people are still living obedient to the Lord. These are just a couple of the amazing stories found about the Kenite people in the house of Rahab, which are in the Bible. Other important times there mentioned are in Judges chapter 1, Judges chapter 4 and 5, 2 Kings chapter 10. Their great history as a group tied to Israel really stems from this account of Jethro and his care for Moses and the Israelites right here in chapter 18 of Exodus. Though they started out as, as a group of people set to be removed from the land when Israel was to move in, they instead became a permanent and beloved fixture there. One more point about the verse that we're looking at is that there is an article in front of the word God. It is not the mountain of God, but the mountain of the God. Attention is being drawn again to this fact. It was first called this in Exodus 3 verse 1. It was also called it in Exodus 4 verse 27, and it has not been called it that way since then. That was when Aaron came to meet with him after uh, he had sent, uh, you know, they, we went through the thing with the bridegroom of the blood and Zipporah circumcising her son. Then they went back to the mountain, and it was one more time called the mountain of the God. Now it is again being called the mountain of the God. It's important. We'll get to why later. Verse 6. Now he had said to Moses, I, your father-in-law, think of a brother-in-law, Chatan, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons with her. It's apparent from the next verse that Jethro sent word to Moses by a messenger that he was coming. Again, he identifies himself by name, and this time the wife is placed first and the sons are then mentioned, reversing the order of the previous verse, which reversed from the order of the verse before that. So you see, something is going on here. A stranger in a foreign land I have been. But while there, the Lord sustained me. And in that foreign land, a great thing was seen. A bush that burned was not consumed. How could it be? I realized that he was the God of help to me. He had guided my life every step of the way and marvelous things he intended for me to see. For me would dawn a marvelous new day. Now I have returned to that foreign land. And yet it seems more of a home to me. Egypt was never truly my home. Something better was planned. Here at home with the Lord, such marvelous things I see. Our second thought today is the rejoicing of Jethro. It's verses 7 through 9. Verse 7, so Moses went out to meet his father-in-law, bowed down, and kissed him. Upon receiving word that Jethro was coming, Moses went out instead of waiting on his arrival. This shows a respect towards Jethro, which would seem most uncommon. Moses is now the leader of several million people, and yet he defers to Jethro by going out to meet him instead of summoning him to where he is. In Genesis chapter 18, Abraham saw the Lord coming with two others, and he ran out to meet them instead of waiting on them to arrive. And the, in the same fashion, Abraham bowed himself down to the ground before the Lord, just as Moses has done to Jethro. It shows a mark of true humility because Moses could have waited for Jethro to come and bow before him. And then after the formalities came, the true meeting of the two occurred when Moses kissed Jethro. This is one of only two recorded kisses in the entire life of Moses. The guy lived to be 120 years of age but only Aaron is noted as having kissed him in Exodus 4, verse 27, and now he is recorded as kissing Jethro. One is a kiss from a Hebrew, one is to a Gentile, and both are two priests, the high priest of Israel and the priest of the place of judgment, which is Midian. 
Verse 7 continues. And they asked each other about their well-being and they went into the tent. These last words of the verse leave a bit of debate open. It specifically mentions that they went into the tent as this is uh, after the erection of the tabernacle and because there's no obvious break in the conversation between here and verse 12, it implies that Moses took him into the tabernacle itself, not his own tent. As this is so, Moses is now showing Jethro, a Gentile, the very dwelling place of the Lord who is the God that he has been a priest to. Verse 8, And Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardship that had come upon them on the way and how the Lord had delivered them. Here we see the concept of recounting the works of the Lord. It says that Moses told his father all that had happened, but the word used here is safar, which means to tell in the sense of recounting. He probably went through a long, methodical, and excited recounting of everything that had happened from his first appearance before Pharaoh all the way up until he watched him sinking below the waters of the Red Sea. Man, there were frogs and there were flies, and he just told him all about the plagues on Egypt, everything that happened. It must have been exciting, just recounting the works of the Lord. And then after that, there would have been the stories concerning the bitter waters made sweet, the lack of food, and the giving of the manna and the quail, the lack of water, and the splitting of the rock, and then the war with Amalek. Moses would have told him about the giving of the law and then the construction of the tabernacle and its dedication. Jethro would have certainly been amazed at all that happened and how the Lord continually delivered his people. A rather uncommon word is used here, which is translated as sake, for Israel's sake. This is a squiggle for your brain. I just want you to know how wonderful the Hebrew language is. This word is odot, which carries the idea of because. It is always used in a plural form, and it is always preceded by the Hebrew word that we translate as for. It comes from the word ud, which is a firebrand. The idea is that as a firebrand is turned in the coals in order to keep a fire burning, the Lord accomplished his turnings for Israel. It's an interesting mental picture, which is given as Moses speaks to Jethro. There's your squiggle for the day. And one more word is used here, which is significant. It is tala'a, translated as hardship. It's the first of four times that it's going to be seen in the Bible, and it gives the sense of weariness or distress. The things that happened on the way had literally wearied the people as their trials kept coming and coming and coming. What a picture of Israel all the way throughout the ages, isn't it? Verse 9, Then Jethro rejoiced for all the good which the Lord had done for Israel, whom he had delivered out of the hand of the Egyptians. In response to the deliverance of the people from their difficulties, Jethro is said to have rejoiced. The word is chadah, and this is its first of only three uses in the Bible. It is the type of rejoicing one would expect of maybe at the birth of a child. Psalm 21 gives a wonderful translation of the type of joy that Jethro is said to have experienced. Here's from the 21st Psalm. For you meet him with the blessings of goodness. You set a crown of pure gold on his head. He asked life from you and you gave it to him. Length of days forever and ever. His glory is great in your salvation. Honor and majesty you have placed upon him. For you have made him most blessed forever. You have made him exceedingly glad, that word right there, with your presence, for the king trusts in the Lord, and through the mercy of the Most High, he shall not be moved. I will recount the works of the Lord. 
of his great deeds, I will continually speak. Listen to me as I relay the word. He was my strength when I was weak. He rescued me from a horrible pit, and with kindness and love he delivered me. And even more with him on his throne I now sit. Forevermore his glorious face I see. I will recount the works of the Lord. Great is he and greatly to be praised. Listen, my children, as I relay to you the word, and then to him let our voices in joy be raised. Our third thought today is, Blessed be the Lord. It's verses 10 through 12. Verse 10, And Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh, and who has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. This verse here seems most perplexing. Jethro, speaking to Moses, says, Who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians? You here is plural. So he's either speaking to several people who are not mentioned, or he is speaking of the collective group of Israel. The King James Version incorrectly translates this in the singular instead of the plural. They use the old uh, form of ye when they uh, translate a plural word, and you when they translate a singular word. They used you. That is incorrect. The reason why this is perplexing is because he nearly repeats himself. He says, first, out of the hand of the Egyptians, and then from under the hand of the Egyptians. If he is speaking to a smaller group of elders about a larger group, this would make sense. But it could be that through the use of from out and then from under, he is referring to all Israel in both instances and showing the superlative nature of their deliverance. Not only were they separated from the hand of the Egyptians and Pharaoh, but they were also removed from the control of that hand. In what this pictures, this is certainly correct. Because of the deliverance, Jethro blesses the Lord who could do such mighty things for these people. It is exactly what was promised to Moses by the Lord at the burning bush at this same mountain where they are now meeting. Here's what the Lord said to uh, Moses way back in Exodus 3. So I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, exactly as he promised. Verse continues, and to bring them up from the land to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. The Lord had made this promise and the first half of that promise was now complete. Verse 11, Now I know that the Lord is greater than all the gods. Jethro, without having to see with his eyes, but only by hearing, has come to a right knowledge of the Lord. Romans 10, 17 says this, So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Moses recounted the works of the Lord, and by faith alone, Jethro has received his conversion of mind, knowing a truth that will be spoken again prior to the construction of the temple in Jerusalem when Solomon writes to Hiram king of Tyre these words from 2 Chronicles. See how similar they are. And the temple which I will build will be great for our God is greater than all gods. But who is able to build him a temple since heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain him? Who am I then that I should build him a temple except to burn sacrifice before him? Which is exactly what Jethro is going to go do. This same God came and revealed himself to Israel 2,000 years ago in human flesh. He entered the world as a helpless little baby. What a seeming paradox that the greatest of all gods could so humble himself, but such is the marvel of Jesus Christ. And even more humbling than his birth was the death which he endured for us. The author of Hebrews calls the cross a shame which Christ simply scorned. 
In his life, he not only showed himself greater than all gods, but he proved himself completely unique from all gods. Verse 11 continues, For in the very thing in which they behaved proudly, he was above them. The word for proudly here, got another squiggle for your brain. It's the word zud. It's used just 10 times in the Bible, and the last time it was used was when speaking of the stew that Jacob cooked for Esau. What does proudly have to do with stew? You want to know how the Hebrew language works? Pay attention. The idea is that when one cooks stew, it will boil. The word comes from the sound, zud, 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 right? From that comes the metaphor of acting proudly. Just as something boils, so does the pride of a man. This whole phrase is shorter in the Hebrew. And so in order for it to make any sense at all, translators have to contemplate what is actually trying to be said. Newer translations make Israel the object of the false god's arrogance and then translate the last word as the people. For example, if you have the NIV, it says, Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods because in this affair they dealt arrogantly with the people. However, the older translations make their own pride the object and then translate the word as above to indicate that the Lord is above what they prided in. This is probably the correct sense. Pharaoh and his magicians, relying on their false gods, thought that they could outmatch Moses, and they failed. The gods which Pharaoh and his people prided in were shown false, one at a time. Pharaoh and his armies thought that they would defeat Israel then at the Red Sea, and instead they were defeated. And ultimately, each of these things simply looks forward to the larger works of the devil, which have been defeated by Christ. The devil behaved proudly, zud, 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 and that he brought death to man. But through the death of a man, death was defeated. It is certain that the words of Jethro are speaking of the greatness of the Lord over the false gods rather than the greatness of the Lord over the mere arrogance of the people. Verse 12, Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took a burnt offering and other sacrifices to offer to God. The burnt offering is the first type of offering described in the book of Leviticus. In fact, the book of Leviticus starts with the burnt offering and it encompasses the entire first chapter of that book. It is a good indication in itself that the visit of Jethro occurs, as I said earlier, a year after the arrival of Israel at Mount Sinai. The law had been received, the altar for burnt offering had been constructed, and the rituals for the offerings had been detailed. Jethro, wanting to participate in offering to God, followed the procedures outlined for him to do so. Though not of Israel, his priesthood was acknowledged as legitimate, just as Melchizedek's priesthood was also considered way back in Genesis. I think it was chapter 13 of Genesis. Anyway, though he was outside of the covenant people, he was accepted by them and by the Lord who sanctified them. And this is without a doubt because of the final words of the passage today, verse 12. We finish with these words. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. Aaron is mentioned for the first time in the passage today, but his being noted now is not without significance. Because of the true timing of this account, he was already commissioned as the high priest. As he is the high priest and in attendance at the sacrificial meal, no other conclusion can be made than that Jethro's sacrifice was acceptable and his performance of the sacrifice was also. And as a mark of favor among all of Israel, their representatives, meaning all of the elders, were brought in to dine with him as well. The term bread in this verse 
eat bread doesn't mean just bread. It is inclusive of the entire meal, but it probably would have included bread too. What does that mean? Thus, Jethro would have been a participant in the eating of the manna, the bread from heaven. The burnt offering would have been completely burnt up as the Lord's portion, but the other sacrifices that Jethro made would have been consumed according to the law which had already been given. And to finish up with the final words of this verse, it says that this meal was before God. It doesn't say before the Lord, as one might expect, especially because in just the previous verse, Jethro said, now I know that the Lord is greater than all the gods. Why would it only say God and not the Lord? The reason is revealed right in the verse itself, but which is left out of our translations. There is an article in front of the word God. Aaron and all of the elders came to eat with Jethro before the God, not a God. The entire purpose of this entire account that we're looking at right here is realized in this one definite article. It is what defines the contrast between Amalek of the last passage with Jethro in this one. It is the difference between being at peace with God through faith and at enmity with God through pride, either in self or in a false god or in both. Amalek chose one path, Jethro chose another. In picture, what has occurred here is showing us the calling of all people, Jew and Gentile. The Hebrews are already God's people. That's already been seen. Moses presented himself way back in Genesis, or I'm sorry, Exodus chapter 4, and said, you know, you're being called as God's people. And that's continued all the way through until now. But there is another group of people who belong to the Lord as well, the Gentiles. Jethro pictures the spiritual leader of these people. Zipporah pictures the overall church, Gershom, the church before the rapture, and Eliezer, the Gentile tribulation saints. They all come to the mountain of the God together. If you remember, Moses had dis dismissed Zipporah when he went back to Egypt. That was with that unusual word that I told you about, Shiluchim, right? It was used at that time. It was a picture of the Lord's focus now going back to Israel, just as Revelation describes Despite his focus being on Israel, he'd not left the Gentiles completely, but he continued to care for them in the process. Then after the tribulation period, the Gentiles returned to join Israel. All are accepted by God at his holy mountain. Moses, picturing Jesus, receives the Gentiles, pictured by Jethro, in the grandest of ways. Remember, he went out and he bowed down to him and he, he welcomed them in. After that, Moses recounted the works of the Lord for Israel to Jethro. And Jethro uses two terms to describe what had happened. Out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh, and then from under the hand of the Egyptians. It is a picture both of their calling as a people from the devil and the world, something which occurred during the Exodus, and it is also their calling from under the power of the world, something which will only occur in the tribulation period. This account here spans all of Israel's histories, from the calling of them out of the Exodus all the way to the time when Jesus Christ returns to them at the end of the tribulation period. In the recounting of the works of the Lord, Jethro realized through hearing the word that the Lord is the true God, and so he offered his sacrifices to him. What this pictures is exactingly described by Paul in Ephesians chapter 5. He says, therefore, be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us and offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. 
The last thing noted in these verses is that Aaron and the elders of Israel came to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. It is a picture of what occurs at the end, at the very end of redemptive history, when all, all people will eat in the presence of the Lord, both Jew and Gentile, who have been saved by faith and by faith alone. Aaron the high priest is specifically mentioned to show a picture of Christ, our true high priest, who has accepted our offerings. The reason this was placed out of chronological order is to show that it is by faith, not by the law, that all people are saved. This account precedes the law in the Bible, even though it actually comes after the giving of the law in reality. God is trying to wake us up to the fact that it is faith. He's going to introduce the law later to show that that can't save anything. So he's telling us now that we're saved by faith alone. It's marvelous what God has done by taking this passage and moving it all the way to a place where it doesn't actually chronologically belong. The entire account can be summed up in this single thought that not only Jews, but Gentiles as well can have peace with God through faith and through faith alone. While collective Israel will fall out of favor with God in their later history, individual Jews as well as individual Gentiles are shown to remain in his favor. It is not about a mark on the body. It is not about a physical line of descent. It's not about works, working your way to heaven. We finished the book of Revelation in our study today. In the last verse of the entire Bible, it says, Grace, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. It has nothing to do with us working our way back to God. It has everything to do with simply exerting faith in what Jesus Christ has done for us. If you have not yet called out on this marvelous God, which has shown in advance how to be right with him, please let me tell you how you can, even right now. Before I do that, I want to say I understand that this was very complicated as far as what's going on. I understand that. But the message, as I said earlier, is simple. If you can just get over the minute details and just look at the overall picture, God has done something to save the people of the world. We're in sin. We're lost and we're separated from God. And we all know this intuitively. We talked about Martin Luther earlier who knew deep in his soul that there was something wrong with him and he tried everything to be pleasing to God. Oh God, I need to do this and I need to do this and I need to do that. And nothing satisfied him. And somebody pulled out a book from a shelf and said, here, try this. Maybe this will help you. They had completely forgotten that the word of God even existed, but he opened it up and he found grace right there in the book of Romans. And that is what God wants us to find too that we can't earn our way to heaven, that there's only one way to be reconciled to him, and that is by belief that what he has done is sufficient for us. And so he sent Jesus into the world, and Jesus lived the life that you and I cannot live. Impossible. We can't do it. And then he gave that beautiful, perfect, wonderful life up on the cross of Calvary for our sake. I am doing this for you. And he died. And he went into the grave, carrying away the sin of the world with him. And when he came out of the grave, the sin remained in the grave. And here we are with our faith in him, the righteousness of God in him. He imputed us his righteousness and we sent into the grave, into the eternal pit, all of our sin. If you simply believe the message of the Bible, if you've never done that, just do it today. Jesus, I'm a sinner. I want to be saved. I know that you can do it. I have faith, just as Jethro did, that you are the God and you will be saved. All right, please do that. Our closing verse today comes from Romans chapter 15. Great book of the Bible. There shall be a root of Jesse, and he who shall rise to reign over the Gentiles 
in him, the Gentiles, shall hope. Next week is Exodus 18. It's verses 13 through 27. It'll be the completion of this uh, particular chapter. Uh, He is not a man of great demanding. He is, according to the title, a man of wisdom and understanding. That'll be our 51st Exodus sermon. And I'll tell you as I do each week, each week I say the same thing. Do the Lord has you exactly where he wants you. He has a good plan and a purpose for you. Even if a deep ocean lies ahead of you, he can part the waters and he can lead you through it on dry ground. And so follow him and trust him and he will do marvelous things for you and through you. All right. Our poem today, based on the verses we just looked at, is entitled Jethro. And Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel as people, that the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt as a favored son. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her back during that most important time of his life, with her two sons, of whom the name of one was Gershom, for he said, I have been a stranger in a foreign land. I was a foreigner in a land, not my home. And the name of the other was Eliezer, for he said, the God of my father was my help, it's true, and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. Wonderful things for me he did do. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife, to them they did trod, to Moses in the wilderness, where he has encamped at the mountain of God. Now he had said to Moses, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons with her, just so you know. So Moses went out to meet his father-in-law, bowed down and kissed him as well. And they asked each other about their well-being and they went into the tent for a spell. Then Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardship that had come upon them on the way and how the Lord had delivered them, the rescue he did make. Then Jethro rejoiced for all the good which the Lord had done for Israel, whom he had delivered out of the hand of the Egyptians with mighty deeds that did excel. And Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians, it's true, and out of the hand of the Pharaoh, according to his word, and who has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians too. Now I know than all the gods that the Lord is greater, for in the very thing in which they behave proudly, He was above them, he, Israel's vindicator. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took a burnt offering and other sacrifices to offer to God also. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God, the God, as we know. The Lord has a plan which includes Gentiles too, when their heart is turned toward him rightly. Stand fast on what he alone can do for you. Hold on to him and to his work ever so tightly. Don't trust in yourself Don't try to earn his favor. Instead, by faith, reach out and him receive. And in his gift of eternal life, you can savor. Because in his work alone, you did believe. Faith, this is what God would ask from you. Believe the gospel that God has done it all. And the Lord who is ever faithful and true upon his glorious name, please do call. And for eternal years, we will together sing his praise. And we shall walk in his glorious presence for eternal days. Hallelujah and amen. Heavenly Father, eternity sure sounds like a great thing to me. Get us out of this world where my body hurts and uh, I get tired and get run down and get splinters in our fingers and ant bites on our toes. Lord, it'll be good to walk on streets of gold without all those things to bother us. We look forward to that and we look forward to it for one reason alone. One reason is because of what you have done for us and we thank you for that. 
We praise you for that. We exalt you for that. And we do so in Jesus' name. Amen. Everybody remember everything I said about the sermon today? Okay, good. I'm glad. Yeah, you still have to repeat it back. We'll have a test on it next week. What does the word shilokim mean? Okay, uh, we get the, uh, the instructions for, for the Lord's Supper directly from the Bible, chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians. And without adding in to the Word of God, we simply give the blessing that Jesus would have said when he blessed it. So other than that, we go right out of the Bible. And there Paul wrote these words for us. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread and he would have given thanks over it. He would have said, Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam hamotzi lechem min haaretz. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. And he broke it and he said, Take and eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. same manner. He took the cup after supper and he would have blessed us as well with these words. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam borei peri hagafen. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, creator of the fruit of the vine. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. It's a little reminder that Israel is under attack constantly without ever being the aggressor. I hope nobody was hurt in that attack. The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Welcome back. The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ.
the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The body in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The body in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The body in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. I'd like to remind you, once again, and I'm sure everybody knows this part of it, but Exodus chapter 18 belongs after the building of the, after the giving of the law and the building of the tabernacle. Don't forget that one thing. Don't remember anything else from this sermon today that comes way, way later in the chronology of the Bible and it is given to show us that we are saved by faith by faith alone and apart from works and that we Gentiles are included in God's provision that's why this is here if you don't remember anything else from this sermon I'd like you to remember that Okay? and I want to right now I said this earlier and I'll say it now and then I'll shut up I want to thank Adam Clark someday when I meet him these scholars that I read you know they, they give mechanical aspects of the Bible. They don't give pictorial stuff for the most part, but they give mechanical aspects and they go through details. And I think if it wasn't for Adam Clark, I probably would not have made the connection that where chapter 18 belongs. And so uh, there's a lot of great men that that help out with these things and I just get to sit and read their analysis and then think, Lord, what are you telling us with this? But uh, just know that uh, there are people that really spend a lot of time doing these things. Adam Clark for this sermon, all right? Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the, the promise of eternal life in your presence without all the afflictions we face right now because of Jesus Christ. Thank you for Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Amen.